Hi, everybody. Welcome to another Real Estate Sessions Rewind episode. This week, we venture back to January of 2022, and we're going to be listening to a replay of Craig Rowe, the real estate technology reporter for Inman News. He has a wonderful backstory filled with some amazing adventures, and I know you're going to love listening to it. Enjoy. So what's happening is the industry is learning to take all of this data, put it in this little machine, and then pump it out into any shape or uh, form they want to use, right? So, and they're doing some incredible things with it. Uh, there's a company called TopHap that I just can't get enough of because they have these data-driven real estate information maps that can track everything from CO2 levels in the air to the history of a plot. You're listening to the Real Estate Sessions podcast, and I'm your host, Bill Risser, Executive Vice President, Strategic Partnerships with Rate My Agent, a digital marketing platform designed to help great agents harness the power of verified reviews. For more information, head on over to ratemyagent.com. Listen in as I interview industry leaders and get their stories and journeys to the world of real estate. Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode 306 of the Real Estate Sessions podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much for telling a friend. Today, I'm going to talk to a copywriter, a journalist, and a backcountry guide. Yes, I'm going to talk to Craig Rowe. Craig is the the property tech, real estate tech reporter for Inman News. I met Craig at the Inman event this past fall and just a neat guy and what a what a background. So we're going to have a lot of fun exploring some stuff outside of the world of real estate. And then we're going to talk about well, how things work at Inman. It's a very interesting conversation. Uh, so let's get this thing started. Craig, welcome to the podcast. Great to be here, Bill. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we, we met at, at the Inman event in Las Vegas. It was so much fun getting back in front of uh, people again. Yeah. And Molly McKinley knows you well. And uh, it was nice having a conversation. I've read a lot of your columns. I'm Tech is kind of my thing. Thanks. And it's obviously your thing. And so I appreciate all the all the, the work and the insight and the effort that goes into those. And we're going to talk a lot about that and also some more stuff as well. Um, sure. But I like starting where people grew up. It's always fun for me to see these different parts of the country. And for you, it's upstate New York. And yeah, way upstate. First, yeah, because first of all, I had no idea where Caledonia was. Um, but then I, I, my first thought was, wait, well, there's Rome and Syracuse and Ithaca. It's got to be somewhere in that neighborhood. Now, I'm not too far off, right? No, you're not too far off. It is just south of Rochester. Okay, gotcha. So let's talk about that sort of an upbringing sure. growing up in New York. And yeah. my guess is, you know, we're going to talk about what you're doing today. I'm going to assume that a lot of who you are today was influenced by where you grew up. Yes, yeah. it absolutely was. Um, yeah, I loved growing up in a small town. And that's it. I am now full circle right back in a similar location here in Northern California. But uh, yeah, Cal Caledonia was really neat. It was, uh, yeah, definitely a small town, had a lot of close friends. I have three older brothers. And then in, in all our lawns, we had all these families in the neighborhood, right? And, and all the backyards met. And every, uh, the family down the street had six kids and in the back of us had also like five or six. And then, so basically there was just this amalgamation of families all the time and all these kids of different age groups all the time interacting. Yeah. It was very Americana for the most part, this little town. Um, really fun. We spent 
all kinds of time outdoors. It, we are very much free range, right? You could just <laughs> open the door at eight in the morning and I'll come back at eight at night. That was yeah. pretty much it. And, and, and in those hours, I could be anywhere from in the local trout stream fishing. And then at some point during the day, you throw the pole back in the garage without your parents even knowing, and then you take off again. And I could be riding my BMX bike for two hours. And then in the afternoon, we're playing football or wiffle ball or baseball or something. And that was it every day throughout the summer until winter stopped us from being able to do that kind of stuff. You know, I grew up in San Diego, a little bit different situation. Um, Still had that ability to you know, when the certain, when the streetlights went on, I had to be home kind of mentality, which was cool. But that whole connectivity you talk about, right? With the neighborhoods, it wasn't people going into a garage and then going in through the service door to go in the house. Sure. You know, you could, you could get home and never see anybody if you wanted to. That wasn't yeah. the case for you. Everybody knew everybody. I love that. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. You, we're going to talk about how much of an outdoorsman you are. Um, so we'll get to that later. But first, let's talk about, as you continue, you end up going to college locally. You stick around up in yep. the up there and you went to Nazareth College, I see, right? Yes. With You were an English major, which makes perfect sense because of what you do <laughs> for yeah. Inman. But you're also a soccer player. So, we got to talk about that mm-hmm. for a second. Sure. Yeah. So, first of all, the position. In high school, I played primarily uh, forward and, and halfback because I was fast. I was not your foot skill guy. I was not beating a lot of people with the ball. I was I was fast and aggressive. So I was getting open. I was uh running down the opposite player's best guy. And you were tripping people. I mean tackling people. <laughs> yeah. And that uh and you know thankfully my college coach kind of recognized that and the position I grew into in college was essentially what would someone would call kind of a marking back. Uh-huh. Where my sole job was to follow around the other team's best player the entire game. Wow. And I made an art of it. I And I meant, fo- like, I would follow him to his bench, and when he stepped off the field, I'd go back to my field. Like, I would really try and get into their heads. I had kind of an aggression issue, so I would <laughs> that would often <laughs> come out on the field. I led the team in yellow cards my senior year and got a couple notable ones in, in college. But, yeah, that was... I ultimately just kind of always relied on being fast and and my speed for the most part. Um, And I think that's what helped me excel. Because again, I wasn't the, I wasn't the, by any means the best athlete on the field, but I was just aggressive and played hard all the time. Um, And that led to that. But Caledonia was a football town. Actually, it was had one of the better football programs for many years in the state of New York. Overall, they were always good. So all the really good athletes played football and I, you know, played soccer with a few of the other misfits. And uh, and then I ended up at Nazareth, which was a big lacrosse school and remains a very prominent lacrosse school in also in the country in division three. Um, but from what I understand in lacrosse, there's not a big difference between D three and D one. There's a kind of a fine line. So anyway, yeah. So I ended up playing soccer at a lacrosse school. So we, we didn't have the best record, but it was still a lot of fun. Yeah, and I enjoyed it very much. While I was an English major, I actually started as an art major. Ah, interesting. Yeah, I was always uh, just always creative. I yeah. was always I grew up drawing, and but it was the same thing. I was very inspired by comic books when I was a kid, so I was wow. drawing and writing all the time. 
So you go to art, art major, you turn into an English major. What was, what was your plan? What was the thought process when you got out of school? Well, when I got out of high school or college? Out of college. Yeah. As you're, as you're no, entering. Yep. No plan. I actually, I talk about this often. I remember being at my girlfriend's apartment the night I graduated from college. And I, I just said, now what? And this goes right to my personality, really. I am, I'm not necessarily a planner. I'll just be frank. I am not really career driven. I'm much more lifestyle driven. And that mm. kind of surfaced right when I got out of school. Um, I just, all my friends were headed off to grad school. And, and I honestly have some regrets about that. Like, I probably should have gone after an MFA in screenwriting or something, which is a big love of mine or like magazine writing or straight into journalism. I am, while I'm the only Inman writer, I think that is, does not have a journalism degree. I am the only one that has a real, that had a real estate license for a while though. I was licensed in the industry several times, but anyway, yeah, I didn't, I had no real plan. Um, so I ended up moving down to Florida for a while with uh, one of my brothers. And somehow we got to you get involved in real estate. I believe it happened up in North Carolina, right? It did. Yeah. So let's yeah. talk about going to Raleigh and what you were doing up there. Yeah, I I think one thing that might be of interest, though, just if, to touch on what I did in Florida is that's sure. when I got into mag. That's when I got into publishing in in journalism. I had a short stint at the Orlando Sentinel doing graphic design when print ads when newspapers were still thick with classifieds and I was doing all the design work on these huge, ex- these very expensive auto dealership ads, right? Where you're placing the car image and you're getting down into the five point type, all that sort of thing. But I went from there and worked for uh, a magazine company. Now this magazine company was attached to a over the counter penny stock company. You've seen Wolf of Wall Street, right? Yeah. I was knee deep in that, that environment. I was, if, so if you remember those scenes in the movie when they're in this giant bullpen and all these guys are out on the phone, picture me in an office just to the side of that with one editor and he and I were putting together the, these magazines that were advertising these stocks. Wow. And even though it was much smaller and not New York City, it was, that atmosphere was spot on. Wow. At one point we went down and my editor told me not to go. He was a great guy. And he said, don't do this. I said, but it just sounds fun. The owner of our company rented a bunch of limousines, stocked them full of beer. And then what I learned later was drugs as well. And we drove down to Miami or close to it to look at a marina, this boat company uh, that was building these boats. On the way back is when everybody started to party. I was 23 I, I was pretty intimidated by what was going on. By the end of that car ride, the one of the managers, a mid-level guy, had fired everybody in the limos. He pulled over three times on the Florida Turnpike and made people get out and find <laughs> their own way back. I was the only one he was not in charge of, so he could not fire me. By the end of the night, like midnight, we're back in the parking lot, and it's me and this ravaging coke-addled drunk stockbroker and his girlfriend just sitting there staring at me because he there's not I witnessed this whole 
debacle, fights inside. The, it was nuts. And there I was, the little magazine editor, just standing there. But anyway, that's how I got started in publishing. <laughs> that's great. I, um, yeah, I'm, I can't even imagine. It was, uh, yep. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, 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 someone had died. In, at my stint there, one of the guys died. He got, took too much Coke and got in a hot tub and was left alone and croaked. Oh, jeez. Yeah, it's terrible. Like, oh, multiple so, affairs going on. And so I live in Florida. So you're, you're, you know, you're not painting the brightest picture of no. Florida, but that's uh, okay. Nobody ever does, other than the weather. <laughs> other than that, I, I have, a, I have a couple of good friends in Florida. I good, awesome, Florida. awesome. Yeah, that kind of makes sense then, because you're, your next role, you end up being a marketing manager for a real estate investment firm. So it kind of makes sense. That's kind of a flow yeah. out of what you were doing down there. Makes sense. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Yeah, for sure. I went up to Raleigh to get back together with a girl I had dated in college. I got a job with, at the time, was called CB Richard Ellis. Oh, sure. But now yeah. CBRE, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. doing marketing for all the all the tenant reps, the listing brokers, yep. asset services, those guys. And I tended to click pretty well with all the brokers. Even though I was young and I was in this pod with kind of all the other assistants and stuff, uh, I had some good marketing ideas. Now, back then, a good marketing idea was an animated PowerPoint. I mean, they just loved it. They couldn't get enough. And then I started doing some work in a software product called Flash by Macromedia. Uh, and it animated stuff you could publish on the web. And I was just making mm-hmm. listing presentations and marketing materials. And people loved that. And then I got recruited to this team for CB's website. Their website rollout was basically... They had this master site, and then each office would have their own templates to populate with content. And I got this little side gig where I was going around to the different offices, helping them get up to speed with their website. So I would come into an office in Charlotte or Nashville, Richmond, and help them get their website up to speed. So that's kind of how I got into the technology end of real estate. So then I would interview the agents and talk to them about what was good and what they should put on the site and what kind of content they should use, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, I did early work with CoStar as well. Wow. When they were physically walking around office buildings recording space. Wow. Somehow, we have to get you to a little town in California called Truckee. Sure. And for people that don't know, this... um, well, I can see you with the way we record this podcast. I can see you. You can see me sure. behind you. I see snowboards. I see a sl- maybe a sled. There's some great stuff that, that tells me a lot about where you live. Yeah. So Truckee. Yeah. My wife and I for years were traveling from the East Coast out West to hike and backpack and all the national parks and all that sort of thing. Um, and having grown up camping all the time, because where else mm-hmm. do parents take for boys. You, you can't take them on a civilized vacation. You have to take them into the wilderness and hope they come back. Awesome. Uh, yeah. So it, it was always kind of ingrained in me. Um, so we ended up first in Las Vegas prior to here, prior to Truckee. Uh, and that's when I started doing my guide work, working as a backpacking guide, taking people on uh, trips in the Grand Canyon and other parts of Southern Utah in the Southwest. But Vegas is not, I don't love it as a place to live. Uh, The town has a a number of great assets and things going for it, but it was not for us. So we wanted a a small town again. Um, I was very fortunate. My wife is pretty well regarded in the world of college counseling and consulting. 
in private schools. So she was recruited to a number of different mountain towns in the West, Jackson, Aspen, Vail, all these other places. But we ended up in Truckee for a number of reasons. Uh, A, it had great access to water. At the time, it was more affordable than some of these other places. And just Lake Tahoe in general. Like this is just a pretty fantastic place to live. The summers are unbeatable. And then the winters, of course, typically are a heck of a lot of fun because the entire town, the entire kind of vibe of everybody is always to get on the mountain, right? Everything is right. about the snow and then when it's going to happen. And, and, and it's I, like some of the most fun times for me is this buildup of a big storm coming like we just had over Christmas. It was just fantastic. And and I just love that. I love that excitement. I become a kid again back in New York. Not can't wait to get out and go sledding in the winter. And I I get distracted. I have a hard time working when I know there's good snow out there that needs to be ridden. I I mean I am very much like a child. Like before the end of the school year or something, waiting for summer, I just get distracted by it, and it becomes kind of all encompassing. Yeah, and again, Truckee being a small town, you get to know a lot of people quickly. You see them on the hill. You see them in the, uh, we, I do some stuff in the backcountry as well. Some, some split boarding and uh, yeah, it's just, it's fun. There's a ton of Olympians and ex pro and current pro athletes that are always around and you never know who you're going to be sitting with. You know, I, I have a local bartender that can do double backflips off cliffs. I have a good friend who's dating a four-time Olympian. Like there's just, I love all this connection to outdoor sports and adventure recreation and everything it's it's really fun you're still doing your guiding right back you know Correct. backcountry guiding and that sort of talk, talk about that sure. the typical client um it's not going to be a guy like me who doesn't camp i would think it's probably somebody who's a little more in tune with nature more maybe more than actually not. well you'd be surprised a little of both i think the common client is someone who wants to experience some outdoors, but doesn't really know where to begin, or they don't want to get into it full on. They don't want to go buy a bunch of equipment because they know they're only going to do it once or twice every few years. Okay. So they hire people like us to take them out. And we, the company I work for, um, we, they provide all the gear and we prepare all the food for them and they, and they get the permits. Right. They have a whole team dedicated to getting permits in these parks and these remote places. It is a lot of fun. That is, quite frankly, the most rewarding work that I do is if you take someone who's never camped or hiked significantly. And, for example, you hike them for five days across the Grand Canyon. Mm. Now, it's on corridor trails. So very well marked in de- like backcountry campsites, but they're developed. They're dedicated sites and they have pit toilets. So it's, it's technically, it's backcountry, it's wilderness, but it's a little more developed. But even so, for some people, that is an immense experience. And taking someone who's never done that across, and something they don't even believe they can do. They're so scared and nervous about the hike and, every, and sleeping outside and all this sort of thing. And the reward that they feel, and to know that you had a role in helping them get through this, all these emotional hurdles and all this fear and experience all this enjoyment 
uh, that is, it's extremely fun and rewarding. It is, wow. I've had a lot of incredible experiences and gotten to know a lot of cool people um, from guiding them around different places in the woods. You're the only guest out of 306 guests, Craig, that we've had this conversation with. So that's awesome. Right. I th- thank you for bringing it to the show. Yeah, yeah, terrific. <laughs> but let's thank let's you. get let's get down. To, let's get to the real estate stuff. Okay, um, sure. And that's let's you're you know we talked about the fact you're you're the I would guess the tech columnist right for Inman. Uh-huh. And um, first of all, how did that how did that come up? How did you connect yep. with Brad, or was it someone else at the time yeah. that you connected with? I uh, connected with Amber Taufin, who at the time was the editor. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a, again just a, a freelance writer. At the time, in 2009, I went out on my own, and I was working for real estate agents and different companies, but I reached, I actually always read Inman, because I was in real estate. I just was always on it. And I just emailed them about being a contributor, someone who writes for free, right? Mm -hmm. As a way for me to potentially get more real estate business, right? Right. However, uh, when Amber saw my background, she said, look, we're actually looking for somebody that understands technology and can be a regular paid contributor. So yeah, as a freelance writer, a standard regular gig is awesome, right? So you're not scraping to find to get pitches accepted and all that sort of thing. So I did a couple of demo columns. And then they obviously she showed it to Brad, he liked it, I was very grateful. That's kind of yeah, that's how it started. It started out as one. Wait, no, it started. Okay, it started out as one a week, quickly went to one a day. Oh, boy. Yeah. Oh, it would. Yeah. It's very hard to sustain. Yeah. Because you're going to run now. And in 2015, 16, there just weren't that many yet. Right. There weren't that many new companies coming up as there are in the last few years now. But still, every day was really hard to, to do a demo. Think about my views on it, compare and contrast it to other products out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but then we we kind of found a really good balance. And. I really like I really liked the atmosphere. I liked everyone I worked with in Inman. That's one of the big reasons I've I very much enjoy it and stick around is because I've always had good people to work with. Yeah. The editorial team is and I'm a very vocal advocate for journalism and they are and I it's why I love working with all these other journalists is I learn a ton not just about I think I bring a lot of real estate knowledge to Inman, but learning about principles of journalism, why things are published, why they're not, why certain things need to be edited. I love that. Um, yeah. It it gets me very excited, very fired up. I love these our connect events because it's one of the few times where the Inman team, just to give some people how it works, if they want it, we sit in a room during like these connect events, we sit in a room around a table all of us are writing. And then these discussions will erupt about anything from a word we should use or not use. And we'll debate for five minutes about whether we should use that word or not, uh, or how to quote something correctly, or, you know, should we use that person's comments or like, I love those conversations and I love hashing that stuff out. So yeah, that's, I guess ultimately that's kind of how I came into Inman. Um, I do other, I continue to do other freelance projects um, on the side. I have you know, other clients, so to speak, but Inman, yeah, is, is my primary workload each day. And I, I still love it. It's, it's a lot of fun. I've gotten to know a lot of great people. Um, 
seen some really cool products, seen some duds. <laughs> We're going to talk about that. <laughs> yeah. Um, people that know me know I, I am a massive fan of copywriters. I, I love the, f- I wish I could write something that compels people to take action. That's, that's yeah. such a powerful thing to be able to do well. Um, yes. Lauren Walker has been a guest on this show. In fact, wow. she, she has my favorite Twitter handle of all time. And it's at insert copy here. Uh, there's no better Twitter handle. You I, know ex- <laughs> I didn't know that, but that doesn't surprise me at all. She is very bright. That is yeah. great. Yeah. So it's very cool. I love the fact that your the journalistic integrity of the company you work for matters. And mm-hmm. however, there are a lot of, there are a lot of, I don't want to say anti-Inman, but a lot of people who think Brad's just trying to rock the boat or he's just saying sure. stuff to make stuff happen. How do you, is there, do, do those, do those work together or do you have a, a how do you handle that? No, I think Brad sees the role of journalism as to shake things up because that's where the last bastion of truth lives in like societally speaking. And Brad is not afraid to call out the industry he serves for its drawbacks, Hmm. which I think is great. And I support that fully that I could, I talk a lot about issues that the industry has overall, whether it's with technology, I have a big problem with the way agents come in, are trained in the industry, how the low barrier of entry. And if there's a reason why something's not working, look inward first, right? I think, and I, and Brad is not afraid to do that, right? He's not afraid to rock the boat. As you said, I support that fully, but you can, you can rock the boat honestly and in a forthright manner and still be very and be journalistic about it just saying something that people don't agree with doesn't mean that's a bias right okay not leaning one way or another if you're just saying look this is your problem like right now i if i it's not my beat but i would if i was writing regularly about the mortgage industry i would tear it down. It is the most single most broken financial vertical in our country. The customer experience is shattered. It needs to be torn down and rebuilt from scratch. Again, that's not my beat, but that is I but that that's on like that is honest. I think that's I think a journalist can say that and not be biased in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. And I, I yeah, and I'm because me being a columnist and me being um, technically a contractor with Inman. So I am at arm's length from mm-hmm. a lot of this stuff. I sometimes will jump into the comments when someone is calling out Inman's journalistic integrity. Um, if it's something they think we're always, we're always on the take with Compass or Zillow and it's all nonsense. <laughs> right. It's because they're newsmakers. The big issue is people don't understand what news is. They think if, they don't agree with it, then it's biased against what they don't agree with, right? Right. Uh, and it's that's not the case. We talk about Zillow a lot because they are they shook up the industry. They t- they just right. They came charging in yeah. and did something totally different. The same thing with Compass. Yep. Right. Yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. Yeah. All yeah. this. Stuff. Yeah. People need to understand what news. I would love it if they just asked if a commenter just asked. Why are you writing about this? And I, 
and whoever we can say why they do it, especially if someone tries to call out like Andrea. Uh, you, whew, yeah. man, don't do that. <laughs> don't do first that. Up, first off, <laughs> is sound. Yes. Right? Yeah, and you're right. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I mean, they all are. I think all our writers are great. I agree. You're, you're coming up on like seven years or so. I'm working right. with them. And let's talk about the different tech sectors a little bit. I don't know if this, this is something you can identify, but is mm-hmm. there one tech sector right now that's just like taking all of your energy or a big chunk of your energy because it's just exploding or outpacing the rest of the field? Well, obviously, yeah, the showing technology stuff, everyone's mm. scrambling to fill that niche and only a couple have done it right. Um, and I think there's a reason why they have. So yeah, showing tech stuff is really building up quickly. But uh, on top of that, on a bigger scale, like that's kind of a smaller niche within the industry. But on a right. larger scale, uh, it's obviously alternative finance. Mm. It's the companies like Knock uh, and Divi and uh, Landing, these companies that are providing unique ways for people to buy and sell homes, whether it's rent to own, buy before you sell, all these alternative financing uh, companies out there. I don't love that some of them are positioning themselves as technology companies. I think that's a lot of Wall Street stuff to be on. Like they're they're doing it to be in the prop tech circle, but what they technically legally are is a mortgage company. Right. Right. Now I don't I don't blame them for that. They have to do what's best for their company. Right. But some of the positioning annoys me a bit. A lot of them are using, I guess I should back track a little. A lot of them are using technology internally to make their processes more efficient. And at the same time, while I was complaining about the the large, the antiquated mortgage industry, these alternative companies coming up, they're coming at it from an entirely different angle. They know how to use technology internally, whether it's something as simple as a team project software, like a Trello or an Asana or Basecamp like just to manage internal processes, that's way more than what Bank of America is doing or Chase or any of that stuff, right? Right. Um, so yeah, so alternative finance, these different own ownership structures, uh, they're cranking up quickly. Our mortgage reporter, uh, Matt, has a ton of stuff to, to be writing about these days. Yeah. Is there something relatively new, like just popping up on the scene? This piques your interest, we'll say. Well, I think it's not a specific, it's hard to classify, but the use of real estate data. Mm. So the way that companies are, is it the best way I can describe it is, do you remember that old toy that Play-Doh had where you could just put a, like a shape on the end of a little, uh, like a compressor, right? You put the Play-Doh in, you can yep. put a different shape on the front and press it through and it would come out in the shape of a star or like spaghetti, right? Yep. So what's happening is the industry is learning to take all of this data, put it in this little machine, and then pump it out into any shape or uh, form they want to use, right? So, and they're doing some incredible things with it. Uh, there's a company called TopHap that I just can't get enough of because they have these data-driven real estate information maps that can track everything from CO2 levels in the air to the history of a plot you're about to buy. You can look at these heat maps and it shows you 
based on price and square footage and everything exactly where a neighborhood is moving. Now, those are valuable tools for real estate agents because they can look at that and go, okay, I'm going to focus on this market that in eight months is going to, they're going to, everything's going to push into this area in eight months. I'm going to start targeting them. So when that little community is ready to pop, I'm going to be there. That feels a lot like what commercial brokers have done forever manually, right? They've, because it's all about identifying opportunities in a big way for investors and principals and things. But now that's being brought to the residential sector. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I, I have a like a story that can relate to that. When I was at CBRE a long time ago, I had a buddy who was the assistant to the land broker. And the all the land broker told him to do for months was go to the zoning office, get plot maps, and then drive around the city. This was in Raleigh, North Carolina. Drive around the city and look at all those empty lots. And then look at it on the map. I, just park next to it. Get yep. out and look at it. Look at it on the... He did that for months. And that's how he understood everything that was going on with these properties. What's coming near it? Is it going to be zoned retail? Is it you know mixed use? And all this information now is available on our phones and in a, on, on these apps. Yeah, um, wow. it's incredible. There's a company out of New York City called Market Proof uh, that is doing the same thing, but essentially with high rises in New York City, wow. and their data sets are incredible. And they're not just presenting it in some boring Excel. It's just beautiful visualizations and charts and graphs and stacking plans. And the ability to make all this beautiful data digestible uh, and have it be able to communicate messages is you can take all this information and give it to somebody who's visual like me. I'm not a numbers guy. I can't do math. But when you show me all these presentations that are all really cool, I think that's incredibly powerful. Heck, man, if they manage to turn some of this data on the, if they put it in the, that's why I want agents to adopt this quickly because if this stuff goes, gets into the consumer market, consumers are already incredibly educated. They don't yet know how to steer the ship. They have all the, they're on the ocean and they got their boat and they're at the helm, but they need someone to navigate. But man, some of the data products that are coming out now, it's, they're impressive and they're fun to watch. I love looking at them. I'm a map, I'm a visual guy. I have maps all in front of me. And that's what I see when I look at these products. It's just these, these are just, these are just market information maps, man. I don't want to see another five paragraph written market report. And I'm a writer. I like show me some cool heat maps and graphs. And then just a little bit of a piggyback on that in terms of some other specific software that is a presentation software is, is, emerging as important. And I think it's really cool. Like the guys at Agent Image have access inside real estate, but dash CMA and turn it into core present, mm. which is really cool. And Mark Choi out of San Francisco built High Note, which is a terrific presentation tool. Yeah. Um, there's more out there and they are, I think those are powerful tools, ways that you can present yourself and your company online easily. To, to clients is really cool stuff. I'll put you on the spot. Sure. What's what's the most, because it's fun talking to a journalist. I can ask you a, a tough question because it's acceptable, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, what's the most overrated real estate tech? Do you want a, a specific name or? Oh, I, I could be, it could be a, I don't want to name a name. I don't. Uh, yep. Yeah. Sure. CRM tech. Okay. 
Overrated. Now, yeah. It's yeah. it's overrated because what they've done to it industry wide. They have they've gone from its core task, which is to help people manage their contacts, mm-hmm. right? Help them understand who to reach out to when. And they've put on top of all that all these additional tools. Now, all like all the automations and like marketing automations, um, some of them you have built in like content automate, like content automation, advertising, Facebook advertising, all these other tools. Now, as a product itself, like it's really well done. Like it's great software. It's built, it's stable, it looks good, but it's overwhelming. It's, I think it's bogging down agents. Now you have put me on the spot, but I've written about this. So this should be a, a, a surprise to no one. Okay. Um, there's just a lot of feature bloat out there. Nothing is niche or specific really anymore. Nothing is lightweight. It's all just big, bulky, enterprise-focused software. Now, that's okay when you're marketing directly to brokers, right? right? And brokers want a big product that can support multiple offices. They, they want that end-to-end solution. How many times have you heard that in the last yes. few years? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's right. Uh, now that's great, but they're putting this big, but the broker buys this, spends a ton of money on it. They have to then, now they're not responsible for the day-to-day training, but they sure as heck need to make sure that the agents are using the product. They just spent a bunch of money on. I just think I would like to see big software products like that modulized. Like, can I take, I just want to buy this right? Like this is cool. I want to buy your landing page product. My clients, my agents all, they, for some reason, they like Salesforce, whatever. It's Salesforce is extremely proven product, obviously. Uh, They like Salesforce. Great. But Chime, you have a very cool landing page. KV Core, you guys have uh, cool listing uh, marketing products. I want to just be able to take little chunks of this. Um, And who, maybe they can negotiate that. I, I mean, I don't know the, the direct in and out sales practices of those companies, but I'd like to see stuff more scaled down and lightweight, right? Because not That's everybody fair. needs all of those tools. CRM right. is important. Like the verb is important. Customer relationship, well, I guess the noun, customer relationship management, but yeah. managing your clients, right? Like that's important. But you don't need, I mean, and that's, I think, what leads a lot of agents to seek other products why they get shiny object syndrome yep. they don't have time to adopt all these other products the very worst thing you can ask an agent to do is say something like okay we need you to clean up your database <laughs> it's not it's not a good thing it's a very ugly reaction trust me um yeah uh craig let's go, let's go back to Emin for a second i'd love sure. to the process of deciding what you're going to write on is it, are you submitting um, things to them and they pick and choose? Are they, is it reversed or are you free, kind of a free, freewheeling it, whatever you want to do? It's, it's How does that work? It's probably 50, okay. 50, or okay. maybe, I don't know, probably 60, 40, I guess. I now, because I've been doing it a while and my name is kind of out there, um, companies will pitch me mm-hmm. and they'll say, Hey, do you want to look at our product? Right. And the vast majority of those are all worthy of being written about and reviewed. Um, so I will, I'll simply tell my editor, yeah, here's what I'm writing about. Here's the, here are the products I'm writing about this week or each day we check in on Slack. Here's what I'm reviewing this week. 
Sometimes they'll say, hey, we heard about this product. Can you write about it? Sure. So they'll often send things my way. And I contribute to a lot of the general, like if we have theme months, they'll ask, hey, do you have any uh, do you have any products that help people market their listings or that promote agents? Because we're doing agent appreciation month. So then I'll, gotcha. yeah. So there's a bit of that. And and then I contribute, like if I have an idea, I'll just ask my editor about it. And normally I, I am totally supported. Uh, it's pretty rare that they say, no, don't write about that. Like I just did one recently, the 11 alternatives to showing time. Right. They'll suggest that to me. And then I'll track down the companies to put in there and write yeah. about. Um, yeah. So it's a, it's a little of both. I, I wave a magic wand. You now have the developing skills of, of the best developers in the world. What would you create? What's missing in the world of real estate? Hmm. Put, putting a tech guy on the spot. Yeah. I, I honestly, honestly don't know. I think everything is, everything is filled in. I would make some things better. I think I would make, I would develop a tool somehow that gives brokers and a reason to have one single controllable website uh, that eliminates the need. I have a big problem with the, the web structure, generally speaking, in the industry. So, and this really came into fruition recently when we're, we're doing this concerted effort to track down a bunch of top agents and get some questions from them. Um, but I would develop a tool and, and I would use that, all those developers to make the absolute best top-down website design product. And I would find a way to make sure every agent's site is consistent, easy to find, easy to contact, easy to reach out. Like, because that is a major problem in the industry that is way overlooked is how difficult it is to find ex- to find an agent. You can Google an agent. You'll probably come up with them. But that site you land on <laughs> might be some random corporate page from like whatever. It's a Century 21 page. Then you got to go find that local office. Right. Then, then maybe that person was on a team last year. They're not on that team anymore, but that, right. but their bio on that team page still exists. Yep. Then, then they have their own vanity URL over there with their own name with under some totally different, it's just their name. Right. And then in the bottom, it'll say proudly affiliated with century 21. Like right. th- it is so broken. It is really bad out there. Um, and I would, Yes, I would try and invent something that just can totally streamline that process, eliminates all these redundant online presences that these agents and offices have. Um, that's what, yeah, a, a solid, really good website tool. Love top it. down. And that's Love pretty it. cliche too, Love top it. down. <laughs> yeah, we're saying that a lot. That's okay. Uh, yeah. Craig, I've had you here uh, way over time. I appreciate oh, this. This like, has been great. Well, let me ask you the same question I've asked every single guest going back to Jay Thompson. I think you've met Jay. (laughs) Yeah, he works. (laughs) Yep. So that's right. Uh, Wednesday, every Wednesday for Jay. Um, What, what one piece of advice would you give a new agent just starting in the business? Time kills deals. Hmm. Yep. And that was taught to me when I was, uh, my last full-time job was when I was selling and marketing multifamily property. 
every delay is just an, is an, one more nail in the coffin of a deal. Deals have to get done quicker. The longer they run out, man, the odds increase really quickly of it going south. Mm. Yeah, time comes deals. And then one, I guess another thing I often say too is there's getting the business and then doing the business. Right. Right. But yeah, I think overall time kills deals. Craig, if someone wants to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, Craig at copy and content group.com. But I'm also for any, that's just kind of generally speaking, if they want to chat about something, but uh, obviously Craig at Inman.com for any reviews or ideas they have for stories. Um, I'd love to hear it. I'd love to hear from people. The more industry feedback and people's ideas we can get, the better. So yeah, Craig at Inman.com. Well, Craig, thank you so much for the time today. I'm very happy for you because I know there's a lot of snow waiting for you right outside your door, right? Yeah. Don't try and reach me this weekend. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Thanks again for all your time. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you, Bill. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Sessions. Please head over to ratethispodcast.com forward slash RE sessions to leave a review or a rating and subscribe to the Real Estate Sessions podcast at your favorite podcast listening app. (laughs) 